0: Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen huber Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. Welcome to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. If you are like so many of the women that I talk to and work with and aren't sleeping or find it so hard to fall asleep or stay asleep or just don't even know what a good sleep looks like anymore, you will definitely want to listen to this week's episode with Sarah Wild, who is a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist, and she uses something called CBTI, which is a specific type of cognitive behavior therapy focused on sleep. And we talk about everything from myths around sleep. So what is enough sleep? Can you get too much sleep? And she also gives us some really practical information about things that we can start to do to just make it a little bit easier to feel like sleep is something that um, is working with us or for us and that we don't have to work quite so hard at. So um, definitely a great episode for anybody in midlife, whether or not sleep changes have hit you yet, because for most people, they do at some point. Welcome Sarah to the midlife feast.
1: Jen, thank you. I've been looking forward to this.
0: I'm really excited because you are a sleep coach. And sleep is a topic that comes up so much, even just in dinner conversations with people about midlife and perimenopause. And, um, I know that someone who has had, you know, children and when my kids were small, it was all we talked about. And then it felt like there was a little bit of a reprieve from talking about sleep all the time. And now that I'm 45, (laughs) it's the topic of conversation again, all the time, but it's about ourselves. So you do a specific type of coaching. And the reason that I wanted to bring you on is because I had never heard of this before. So can you tell the listeners what CBTI is? What does that stand for?
1: Yes. Well, CBTI um, is an acronym I throw around a lot and it's not helpful, but what it stands for is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Um, It's a laser focused approach to insomnia. Um, It's not CBT therapy per se, that's different, and CBT therapists often aren't actually trained in CBTI, interestingly. Um, But yeah, it is laser focused on treating insomnia disorder, which as you know is what many of us uh, do struggle with come perimenopause and menopause time. And often it's one of the first symptoms as perimenopause sneaks up on us, um, our, our sleep tends to go on the fritz, and it can be kind of, why, why am I not sleeping properly? Everything was fine, and now I'm tossing and turning or waking in the middle of the night. And um, CBTI, the good news is it's almost like the world's best kept secret, which is terrible because CBTI has got so much evidence for it. It's been around for about 40 years now, and um, it is actually the number one recommended approach to treating insomnia disorder in the UK, which is where I'm based and in the U.S., and in Canada, and in Australia. I mean, you know, sleep doctors are united in this as a first-line approach. Um, So that's the sort of, you know, outline. But what it actually does, the meat on the bones, um, is you 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 take insomnia as a holistic issue. And what we look at is um, sort of three pillars, really, to it. The first, we look at habits, and it's kind of looking at what are we doing around our sleep that is making what could be a temporary sleep issue into a long-term chronic issue. And that could be to do with how we treat our bed and our bedroom. Um, Is it a place of all things? And it tends to be a haven at, at this time of life. Jen, I don't know about you, but, you know it's a it's a place where you kind of escape from the family and you can go and have a bit of view time
0: um when you're in bed oh yeah but, um... Fridays especially so Friday nights the kids and my husband know that my favorite thing in the world is that once everyone is kind of settled into their evening entertainment I retreat to our room tuck into bed watch a show and go to bed early <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah which is you know it's really
1: common it's really really common and it's a really nice thing to do but if you are having trouble with your sleep it's actually a really bad idea um because we are we are confusing the role of our bed and our bedroom in our mind um when really it has to be a haven just for sleep or sex uh, one or the other but if we start introducing you know playing on our phone watching telly, doing work even, um, if we change all of these things, then the bed and the bedroom loses its meaning for us. And as I say, if you've got a sleep problem, then, then that's not the way to go. So these are the sort of behaviours and also the chasing sleep behaviours that we, that we might have, like going to bed earlier or lying in at the weekends. You know, When sleep becomes an issue, then we're thinking about it and we're trying to get it. Um, and that's when we start to change our routines or we have elaborate, everyone has a bedtime routine. Do you have a, a bedtime routine, Jen, even if it's just taking your makeup off at night?
0: Yeah, no, I definitely do. And, you know, I and I think that a lot of people who have experienced sleep changes in midlife have thought about a lot of these things. So is there a difference between CBTI and what I think a lot of people have read about as sleep hygiene? Or are they interrelated, but not exactly the same? Um, you know, because I think that that is the, the part that I found really interesting about what you were doing is that it seemed like it incorporated sleep hygiene, but it was more than just sleep hygiene.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, no, I think that that explains it well, because sleep hygiene, whilst it's important, because it can be the difference between, as I say, sort of the temporary sleep issue Starting to move into a sort of chronic insomnia issue. Um, It's it's funny because women that come to me have usually got all the sleep hygiene advice nailed because it tends to be the first thing that you're either told about by the doctor or you know if you're going on Doctor Google, this is the stuff that they're telling you to do, and and is the stuff that we we get done because you know we're we're serious about our sleep. You know it's it's really important for functioning. So often, often the sleep hygiene bits, we do check that they are all in place because sometimes some people aren't aren't doing those things. You know, once sleep goes wrong, then we tend to be very focused on trying to get it right again. And this is what I meant by us started to change behaviours or the sleep hygiene that you were talking about. Most women I see are following sleep hygiene guidance, and it might actually be an issue of the pendulum swinging too far because the sleep hygiene becomes almost, uh, a, you know, a sort of uh, an order, a, a rule. So everything has to be perfect. Especially yeah. if something has been tried and it worked, then you're sort of chasing that again. It's kind of, okay. Well, I did this, this, and this, so I have to do it again because then I might get the sleep.
0: Um, Oh, yeah, you get very superstitious about it. Yeah, Um, that's that's uh, the word, definitely. Sleep was the first thing that went for me in early perimenopause. And I was 37 or 38. And I had the very classical wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning, wide awake for no good reason, and couldn't get back to sleep. And, you know, my my kids were finally sleeping through the night. And it just felt like I, I was anxious going to bed every night because I would do all the right things no caffeine you know no no strenuous exercise no tv in bed reading a real book you mm-hmm. know no blue lights like i had this list of 10 things that felt ritualistic that i would do and then i'd go to bed and it was like okay and what's tonight going to bring <laughs> and then yeah. if it did work i would think Oh, it's working. But then, if I did the exact same thing and it didn't work the next night, I think, what the heck? What did I do?
1: And yes, it felt really yes.
0: frustrating.
1: It is very frustrating because because you try, you know, you try to chase that perfect night again by putting everything back in place, and um, and that and that creates its own vicious circle because you you become sort of fixated on what I need to do to get a night's sleep, and unfortunately. That actually again feeds into the problem because your mind is then completely active. Like you say, you're worrying before you go to bed, and that can start, you know, that can be a daytime issue as well. You're thinking about it all day how am I going to sleep tonight? How am I going to function tomorrow? And that just makes things worse, unfortunately.
0: Let's talk about some myths about sleep because I love myth busting, especially when it comes to things that, um, you know, I think that we put we invest a lot of time and energy into trying to make true for us. So what are some of the big myths around sleep that you encounter with the women that you're working with that just aren't serving us anymore that we just need to let go of? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I
1: think the top one has to be the, I need eight hours sleep um, goal. And unfortunately that becomes a stick to beat ourselves with because and it is unhelpful that's exactly the word because we get this in our head that eight hours is the golden number so anything that isn't eight hours is then failing and that really feeds into you know how we think about sleep and how much effort we then have to put into sleep when the truth is that how much sleep we need is a really individual thing it's like you know like our shoe size um Most people, if you think of um, the distribution of the population, the adult population, you know, it's like a hill. So most of us are in the middle of that chunky bit of hill, and that's a kind of six to eight hours threshold where you know we can be anywhere in there. And and also, sleep needs change over our lifetime as well. But then on the outliers, the little foothills either side, you've got people who can get away with you know less than that, and people who need a bit more than that. So all we know is that it's very individual. It does change over our lifetimes. And then actually having too much sleep is as detrimental to our health as having too little, which most people would never appreciate. It's kind of the more is better idea is really out there.
0: Yeah. So tell me about that because I actually haven't heard that like stated that way before. So how is getting too much sleep bad for us?
1: Yeah, well, I, again, they don't really know the exact mechanisms, but when they've studied populations and looked at how much people, how much sleep people actually get, and then linked that to health outcomes, there was a very strong correlation between, you know, a lot of sleep. So we're talking sort of regularly ten plus hours every night can have detrimental health outcomes, which sounds really strange because, as I say, we're all very much hooked into an idea that we need more, not less. But no, the kind of both ends of the spectrum mirror each other in, in many ways in terms of health outcomes. Really interesting. Yeah.
0: So if we can't rely on the number of hours that we're getting, should we be? how should we be measuring our quality of sleep? What are, what are your thoughts on things like sleep trackers and apps that tell us you know, you've spent this much time in, in this stage of sleep. What are your, what are your thoughts on those?
1: Well, uh, sleep trackers, um, they're everywhere now. You've got your Apple Watch or you can get any app downloaded on your phone. And um, they they are limited. They are pretty good in showing how much we move. They tend to be based on how much we're moving around at night. And then they use that and some fancy equation to give us an idea of when we were supposedly waking up in our in the night's sleep unfortunately they're not very accurate they can be pretty accurate but not accurate enough and to give you a real idea because if just on a very common sense idea when you're awake at night often you're lying in your bed sort of quite still just looking at the ceiling so any kind of um actigraphy you know motion sensing that you might be having is not even going to pick that up as being asleep but the problem is is that we then get quite fixated with the results of our night's sleep, and it all becomes about what has my phone told me about my night's sleep? Mm-hmm. And we're not checking in with ourselves and saying actually, how do we feel about our night's sleep? Um, you know we, we think we're using a nice um, ruler, but the ruler actually isn't that accurate and doesn't serve us very well. So I'm not a big fan because, as I said, people can get caught up. In what does the number show me? Um, And that doesn't necessarily reflect what happened or really how, how your body's feeling and your mind.
0: Yeah. And I say that all the time with respect to things like movement as well, that, you know, don't rely on a step count to decide whether or not you've moved enough. Um, You know, kind of don't let, don't get bullied into closing your rings on your Apple watch You know, just because you can close them or you think that you should, we we should be having a little bit of, you know, that introspection and awareness around like, do I feel like I've moved enough? Is this the right kind of movement today? And same with sleep, I'm assuming. Do I feel rested? Do I have energy to get through my day without feeling like I need a nap? Do I constantly feel like I'm yawning or tired? Those are probably more um reliable subjective assessments than just relying on the data that you can gather with an app right
1: yeah absolutely and also it can set the tone for your day um straight out of getting out out of bed you know you 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 can wake up look at your phone and it says no you didn't sleep very well well that's me doomed for the day then and um and that's that's so unhelpful because. Actual studies of, of, you know, cognitive functioning, particularly about during the day, is that actually we can be okay, and a lot of it has to do with how we will then manage ourselves during the day to get through the day. Um, so no, I'm really not a fan of those at all.
0: So, so we've talked about the myth about how many hours, and we've talked about you know the technology. What's one other big mm-hmm. myth that? people hold on to for dear life that maybe isn't helping them get more sleep?
1: Well, I think it's the idea that um, insomnia is a biological problem and somehow needs some kind of biological um, cure. And actually what what we know about insomnia, and I'm talking about insomnia disorder, not a diff- any other type of insomnia or any kind of other sleep disorder, Um. But what we know about insomnia is that it is something that happens. Like there's normally an event that that sends our sleep into um, Fritz. So it could be, you know, menopause, we've gone perimenopause. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is that we start chasing sleep and looking for ways to fix our problems. So we change our behaviors, we're starting to get more and more worried about sleep and how we're going to function. And then a vicious cycle is is created and that actually makes our sleep worse so the way to treat that as i said is using cbti cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is a really good tool because it specifically targets those worries and behaviors that turn a sort of a sleep issue into a long-term sleep problem Um, and Mm -hmm. and even when they've done studies i mean you know Sleeping pills in the UK—it's not quite the same as in the US um, and Canada. You know, generally speaking, over here, sleeping pills are quite heavily regulated; not generally given out that much. Um, But you know, when they've done studies comparing the effects of sleeping pills against CBTI as an intervention, they found in the short term that they're pretty much equally effective, um, and in the long term. Um, CBTI interventions are more helpful because obviously once you stop taking sleeping pills, A, you can get rebound insomnia, and also it hasn't done anything to address any kind of vicious circle behaviors and thoughts that are that are keeping that sleep problem going. Yeah. So so really it's kind of counterintuitive because when you're not sleeping, you do kind of think, oh, you know, if you've especially if you've been to the pharmacy and tried every over-the-counter solution, you can. Um, which was certainly me, you know, I, I don't, you know, I bought everything I could lay my hands on to try and fix my sleep problems. That you can, if that doesn't work, inevitably it won't, um, you can end up thinking, right, that's it. I just need a pill from a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. But no, CBTI has been shown um, to be to be really effective. And of course, sleeping pills don't help you sleep. They sedate you,
0: which yeah. which
1: is, which is yeah. a different type of sleep.
0: It Um, is. It's a quality versus quantity kind of sleep, Um, you know. That's very much much my approach, Jen. It's kind of we're looking for
1: fixing the quality. First off, that's the first sort of target is how do you make your sleep as efficient and um, the best quality we can make it?
0: Yeah. And it's so true about those thoughts, though. You know, I remember feeling, you know, like I said, anxious before I would go to bed. And, you know, if I woke up in the night, even though I wasn't clock watching and I wasn't, you know, doing all those things, mm-hmm. m- one of my first thoughts was often, oh my God, have I gotten enough sleep? You know, and it's like I would, I would be able to like gauge based on how much light was coming in from the curtains, whether it was, you know, five or six. And, But once I, I don't know if this is part of CBTI or not, but I either read or heard somewhere or something, you know, to just tell yourself, I'm awake. And if I fall asleep, I fall asleep. And if I don't, I don't, I will still be okay. And so instead of going into that cycle of, oh my God, have I slept enough? What do I have on the go today? Am I going to be too tired? Am I going to want to cancel? Like all of these things that used to be part of that trigger, I'd be like, well, I'm awake now. And like probably 80% of the time I do fall asleep. Um, but you know, I had to like train myself to stop that default programming around, you know, don't worry about it. If you're tired for a day and you don't sleep, it's not the end of the world. You know, like you're not going to, the world isn't going to come crashing in and just kind of giving myself that permission to have a bad night's sleep and not have to worry about it to me felt like the biggest shift I needed to make in my thinking versus adding in more things to do, to, you know, to do more. I actually had to do less, which was an interesting thing. Well, that is that
1: is um, that is actually a perfect illustration of you know the sort of paradoxical intention, um, which is the theory in psychology, is that you know once you put your mind to something and try really hard to do something or. or or achieve something that actually can have the opposite effect and you're you're right you're perfectly right in that approach um one of the ways that we do deal with the mind racing and worries about sleep and, and how you're going to function the next day is that sense of a sort of accepting and mindfulness so you so you can sort of take a step back from your thoughts and just say okay i am awake now just like you said um I may go back to sleep, I may not go back to sleep, but I'm gonna be okay. And yeah. I notice I'm having these thoughts that um I'm worrying about sleep, I'm worrying about how I'm gonna to sleep tomorrow, you know, function tomorrow. And just noticing them and just letting them kind of pass over you, not grab onto them and sort of head down the road with them, you know, clinging onto them, um, because they can take you to really, you know, sad, hopeless places. Mm-hmm. And that that is a really important part of of my work with with um, women. Yes,
0: I see so many parallels to the work that I do with um, body image and and getting out of the diet cycle. So I often talk about how you have a thought, you have a bad body image day, or you you know you're just not feeling good in your body and you have this immediate thought, my body is bad. It's terrible. I have to lose weight. I have to make my body smaller. And you have this like predictable series of events that always ends you back up in the same place. You're not actually getting to where you want to get to. And it sounds very similar that I think people, you know, when you do experience sleep difficulties, that, you know, you have this series of thoughts that are kind of on a a default replay, um, but they're not actually getting you anywhere. So recognizing them is is the first step for sure yeah definitely and and you know i think
1: part of the process is sort of how to deal with worries specific worries about sleep which is you know what we've just been talking about and also the sort of wider stress and worries that we have about life and how we deal with those day-to-day because if we are not dealing with them then if we think of our nervous system as a sort of idling car You turn on the engine and it's just sort of buzzing well that's what we want our nervous system to be at that kind of level so that when we go to sleep we can gently sort of drift Mm. into sleep but if we're worrying a lot about sleep about life then what we are actually doing is putting our foot on the accelerator and revving our engine and that means that our engine is revving all through the day and then into the night which makes it even harder to just relax down to that state where we can drift off to sleep.
0: So, yeah, I love it's, that um,
1: It's a multi-pronged approach.
0: <laughs> yeah. So are there any other kind of little tips that you can share with maybe women who are in this stage? Because what I love about your approach is that it's kind of really independent of the hormonal piece, right? Because it's not treating the hormones. It is, I think, more often treating the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that have that are coming up because we're not sleeping and the worry that we have around it because we hear so much about how important it is. Um, you know, the frustration we have at things like brain fog and fatigue and just not feeling like ourselves, but I just love that it is really independent of the hormonal situation and is so applicable to really every stage. So what would be one or two things that maybe you might suggest people take a, a different look at or see through a different lens when when looking at sleep in midlife?
1: Yeah. Well, first, just to say, yes, it is a really good independent approach that doesn't involve hormones and has been looked at with just perimenopausal and postmenopausal women and it does work regardless of, of the hormone fluctuations that's going on. So this approach does work for, for women like us Jen. Um, yep. So if I had some top tips then for you know looking at sleep if you're having a problem and you think you've got insomnia so I think the first thing we do is we're trying to get back in touch with on our body's natural ability to get us off to sleep um and it, and there are a couple of main drives that we can um try and work with and the first is the sleep drive and that's the one that builds up during the day so if you imagine you've got like a red balloon a floppy red balloon and that's how you wake up in the morning and then as the day goes on you are filling up that balloon and as you get to the evening what you want is a nice taut full balloon of air or sleep drive and then that will help you make the journey into sleep much easier because you're feeling tired and it's your bad body's natural cue to move into sleep so to do that you need to wake up and get up in the morning like you say don't lie around in bed try and get some uh, daytime light outside that's really important ideally in the morning don't wear sunglasses because it's 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 got to be the light hitting your your retina um, Try and be active in some way. And I don't mean a big workout, but just move your body and try not to nap. Um, if you're, you know, you nap if you're really sleepy, like nodding off sleepy. Um, but if, you, if you're if you just trying to chase sleep with by napping, then you're making the problem worse. Because what you're doing is letting air out of your balloon. So you're going to have a soggy balloon come the end of the day.
0: Oh, I love that. I yeah, love that. that.
1: You want a nice talk balloon, um, and the other two would be tr- get up at the same time every day, including weekends. I'm afraid, um, <laughs> because again, that's kind of I know what are you crazy? Um, but if you are chasing sleep, it really is feeding that unhealthy cycle. But it's also again another natural body process. Your body clock, your body clock really likes to have regular wake and sleep times, it and. Does. Um, Do you know, even messing with that slightly, you know, I'm talking like half an hour um, can affect you. And you can get jet lag without ever having left your bedroom. Um, And that comes by Mm. having really different sleep and wake up times. You're actually traveling through time zones without leaving your bed. Um, So that can give you those kind of jet laggy feelings sometimes you get when you have been sleep, you know, had had I've bad sleep. i never
0: thought of that that way. That's really fascinating to think yeah. about. it. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm willing to give up my weekend lion a little bit, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to think about it differently. <laughs> Look, if you don't have to have it with your sleep, you don't have to worry about it. This is, <laughs> But this is I think that, that might give sleep. people some food for thought, thinking about that Sunday night insomnia. That is yeah. so, so common. Mm. Um, you know, Wow. Sarah, you've given us so much to think about. I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom. And for, um, I always like to ask my guests what, and the answer might be obvious or may not be, doesn't have to be, but what do you think is the missing ingredient in midlife? Mm. Well, apart from sleep,
1: obviously, um, I I think um, something that really occurs to me is that, you know, we're at that point where we've got children perhaps young children teenagers work maybe aging parents um that priorities is what comes to my mind um because often i feel like our to-do lists are written for us every day (laughs) you know everyone else (laughs) everyone else is, is, is scheduled and stuff we have to get done and then anything we want and need is right down the list and potentially never gets to you know we never get to it and um and one thing I think I've really realized um, is that as you get older, you really have to work at being well as you get older, mentally and physically well. And we need to put that as a priority. So I would say it is prioritizing ourselves um, and giving ourselves full permission to do that. And you know that's always a trouble, I think, for women,
0: but it gets more acute as we get to this stage in our lives that's what self-care is all about i love it yeah so if anybody is interested in learning about sarah um you share some great information on instagram and your handle is beyond insomnia right yeah it's beyond underscore insomnia perfect and i will put links to anything that you have on the go and your uh, instagram profile in the show notes for anybody who wants to learn more from sarah Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It has been lovely chatting with you. No, it's my pleasure, Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. Just remember that the Midlife Feast community membership is now open for registration and it is the perfect place for you to gather, grow and nourish with other people in midlife who know exactly what you're going through. You can find a link to join this monthly membership in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us as you feast on midlife. And if you found this podcast episode helpful or any of the episodes on the Midlife Feast, just a reminder that the best way to help others find us is to rate and review the podcast wherever you tuned in.